Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. If this place is a billion years old, cool, whatever. This earth didn't die for me. Jesus did, and that's what I need the most, okay? I love that he made it. I personally think he made the earth mature, like he made Adam and Eve mature, okay? They weren't newborns, okay? They were made mature people, and uh, although they were moments old, they were grown-up people. I think he did the same with the world. Again, can be dogmatic, but it's fun stuff to think about, right? Today, Pastor James will be explaining how faith is the most essential aspect of a Christian life. There are many times that Christians can get caught up in placing the object of their faith in many minor aspects of biblical doctrine. The focus should be on the majors, not the minors. Most biblical scholars believe in a young earth theory, but you should never get so caught up with non-foundational aspects that you cause division in the church. Keep your focus on Jesus and what's written in the Word of God. Now turn in your Bible to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. As Pastor James begins his message, Heroes of the Faith, Abel. Going through Hebrews, last week we talked about creation and how God made everything. And we, as believers, it's an act of faith that we trust that, yes, God made everything. He made it out of nothing. He made it out of nothing. How's that possible? Well, number one, he's God, okay? So that could be the start and the end of the argument, really, technically. But um, there's a lot of evidence that shows that he has created it and uh, he spoke it into existence. We talked a little bit about, well, how old is the earth? Is it millions and billions of years old? I find it funny that scientists need to keep tacking on billions of years in order for it to fit their theories. That doesn't sound too scientific to me, but whatever. Um, I'm not a scientist, so what, what do I know? But I don't believe it's billions of years old, okay? I don't, um, a lot of Christians, well, a lot of Christians believe it's millions of years old. If I'm going to be honest with you, um, you might think that most Christians believe it's thousands of years old, but that's not true. That's not true. I kind of believe in more of a young earth kind of theory. It's a theory, okay? You can't be dogmatic on any of this stuff. Um, I, but that's a small percentage within the church nowadays. A lot of people believe it's old, an old earth. Does this matter? Not at all. Not at all. It doesn't. I gonna promise you one thing. You're not going to go to heaven. And there, number one, there's not a doorman, so to speak, in heaven, like Peter's watching the gates. But let's pretend he is. The questions he's not going to ask you is, old earth or new earth? You're like, hmm, new earth? He's like, eh, wrong, you're out, right? Like, that's not how it works. It's Jesus or no Jesus. Jesus, OK, you're in. You know, Jesus, your Lord and Savior? Sweet. That's the only way. That's the only thing, determining factor to get into heaven, okay? How old the earth is and what you believe doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter at all. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that the, the scriptures, because I know, I know a lot of people will come at me with like, no, if you don't interpret it rightly and all. Listen, if, it, if this place is a billion years old, cool, whatever. This earth didn't die for me. Jesus did, and that's what I need the most, okay? I love that he made it. I personally think he made the earth mature, like he made Adam and Eve mature, 
Okay, they weren't newborns. Okay, they were made mature people. And uh, although they were moments old, they were grown up people. I think he did the same with the world. Again, can be dogmatic, but it's fun stuff to think about, right? So I love talking about that stuff. I love thinking about it. Um, regardless of how old it is, the Bible's not a science book, and it did, its, its goal is not to tell us how, you know, how it was made. Its goal is to tell us who made it, and his name is God. And that's what Hebrews 11 talks about. And that's the very first start of this thing. It's God made the entire universe. It was formed at his command, right? That was verse three. And what, what we now see can't, uh, did not come from anything that can be seen, right? So now we're going to move into the characters, okay? So we established the foundation, the world. The world itself was created by God. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's not in the beginning, let's talk about who God is. It doesn't. It says God is assumed to have always existed, in the beginning, God created, okay? And so we, we have that foundation. God has always existed, and he created the universe, and now he has filled the universe with individuals, with people, and he started with a man, and his name is Adam, okay? Adam, that means man, okay? And then he, he was nice enough to make Adam a woman, right? He made a wife for him, and her name is Eve, okay? And so you know, probably know the story. If you don't, you can read Genesis chapter 1 and read chapter 2, okay? Um, it talks all about these guys. And I don't believe these were people groups. I believe these were individuals. Adam doesn't represent a tribe of thousands of people, as some would say. And I don't believe Eve represents a tribe of thousands of people. That's teachings that's circulating out there. I believe that Adam represents... Adam and Eve represents Eve, and one was a man and one was a woman, and they came together, and it's a beautiful thing. And then they fell, Genesis chapter 3, and then sin was introduced into the world through their act of rebellion, okay? Sin and death were introduced into the world. Before that, there was no sin and there was no death, no death at all, okay? Um, And if, again... I don't want to spend too much, I don't want to keep going back to this, but if the world's millions and billions of years old and animals were around, did they, they never die in the millions of billions of years? Shouldn't there be more fossils than what we find? If it's millions of billions of years, then yes, okay. Side note, I'm sorry, but I just will keep going back to that. Um, anyways, I got to move on because um, now I want to go into these other things. But no, um, no, James, bad. Um, so Adam and Eve... They have kids. They bring in their very first, the very first child born on this planet. His name is Cain. Okay, you have Adam and Eve. They get together. I don't know if you know how this works, but they physically got together. Two became one. Hopefully you know that by now because uh, you're all grownups. Um, but they became one, and they had a son, and his name is Cain. And they believed that this would be the fulfillment of what God had told them as a result of their sin right? That he would send one who would conquer, basically, okay? And so he's the, the uh, appointed one. That's what they believed. Now, then he got into his terrible twos, and they quickly questioned that, I'm sure, right? Because they're like, oh, geez, the sin thing. Because um, this kid's like, he's terrible. He's a two-year-old. That's what they, I mean, they're beautiful, but they're also, they're just, they're wild. Um, 
But they have their firstborn son, and he grows up. And you can understand how Adam and Eve, with new parents, I mean, the newest of new parents, <laughs> no books were written, like no books, no, none of that at all. And there's their boy, and they were going to raise their boy. And then they, they, they have other children. Um, but the other son that they have that's noted from Genesis is Abel, OK? And, uh, and so you have Cain and Abel. We have no idea the age difference between these guys. I don't believe we do, unless I could be totally wrong on that, if there's a genealogical chart on that. Um, but um, you have a brother, two brothers, an older brother, Cain, younger brother, Abel. And they both grow up in the same household with Adam and Eve, the first created people ever. And uh, yeah, there would be other siblings as well. But they grow up in this household, so to speak. I don't know what they lived in. But outside the Garden of Eden, outside of paradise, outside of perfection. And we know that they had a relationship with God, so to speak. And I use that loosely with Cain. Because God spoke directly to Cain, okay? Cain heard the voice of God. So there was a somewhat, I'm not talking about a salvation-type relationship, because we'll see that Cain's heart was not in it. Um, but they, they grew up with this notion that God is real, and we should worship God. We should sacrifice to God. That's what sacrificing to him is. It's an act of worship. They grew up in that household. So that was probably Adam and Eve. That was probably their parents that instilled that in them. And I'm, I'm setting all this up so we can understand, uh, really, I mean, Abel's, his act of faith is directly correlated with his worship of God, okay? But you can't talk about Abel without talking about Cain. I mean, that's, the two go together. It's like peanut butter and jelly, right? You just can't, like, you, you shouldn't have, ever have one without the other, all right? I mean, that's just a no-no. Um, but it, it's, you appreciate Abel in Hebrews chapter 11 a little bit more when you understand Genesis and, uh, and what had happened. So keep your finger in Hebrews 11. Turn over to Genesis. Genesis chapter 4, please. I don't know why my bookmark is on chapter 2, but chapter 4 is where the story is at. It's probably a story you're very familiar with, but let's, let's just go over it for the sake of context here. Verse 4. Or verse 1 of chapter 4. New Living Translation, you got to love the clarity. Uh, now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife. And you're like, ah, no. Um, yeah, it's what happens. Um, he became one with his wife. He knew Eve. If your Bible says he knew Eve, now you know what it means, right? You should have known that before. But he had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel, OK? So you fast forward, they grow up in a normal household, sinful parents with sinful kids, right? Their family is probably not a whole lot different than your family and my family, okay? Except they just, you know, they can't send their kids anywhere, right? You can't send them to grandma's house because grandma doesn't exist, right? Like, that's not, that's not a thing right now. Um, you're stuck. You got, it's your kids. Um, and you're the only people on the planet right now. There you go. So they grow up. It says, when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, and that's, and that's interesting. That's very fascinating because there's some correlations between Abel and Christ. Abel became a shepherd. John chapter 10, Jesus is the good shepherd. Okay? It says, while Cain cultivated the ground. So he was a, a worker of the ground. Kind of 
like his dad. Grew up just like his dad. I mean, that's what Adam did. He cultivated the ground. That's, that's what he did. That was like his, he had like two jobs in the Garden of Eden. Take care of the you know, plant life, so to speak, be a gardener, and name the animals. That's what he did, okay? And then he sinned, and then he got booted out of the garden, and God told me, he's like, you know, by the sweat of your, bow, your brow, you're going to work the grounds. So it's interesting that Cain, as he grows up, Abel is a shepherd, which that's a new, you talk about new career. I mean, like, like nobody's ever done that before. He is a shepherd, and his brother chooses to cultivate the ground. So both good works, for sure, both are necessary. Verse 3, it says, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Sounds good, right? That's like cool. It's harvest time. He takes some of his harvest, and he's going to present it as an offering to, to God. And uh, other um, portions or translations would, would note that this uh, at, at an appointed time is really what this is talking about. So there's a lot behind this where um, a sacrifice was made to God is what we think at appointed time. So it could have been at the end of the year or, or whatever, but there was an appointed time to make a sacrifice to God. And that's something that probably Adam and Eve had instituted within their families. And their boys are now repeating that. They're doing that as well. So Cain, he gives uh, of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel, verse 4, also brought a gift. Now, it specifies a little bit more on his gift than Cain's gift. Cain brought some of his crops, okay? Abel brought the best portions of the firstborn. And it's, it's really digging into there so that we can understand two offerings were brought, but one was significantly more impressive than the other one. Abel brought the best of the firstborn lambs of his flock. It says the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain in his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Okay? So two, same time, here's one offering, here's another offering, and God's like, I'm pleased with this one, and I'm not pleased with that one. And let's be honest. That would be somewhat hurtful if you go to God and you're like, hey, God, here's my gift to you. And he's like, I don't like it. I don't accept your gift. You're like, oh. You know, you'd be a friend. You'd be like, huh? seriously? Yeah, seriously. What? But I like that guy's gift. But I don't like your gift. I accept that one. I reject yours. That's harsh. That's harsh if you're looking at it from a surface level kind of thing. If you're looking at it as like they're one and the same, but they're not one and the same. And God doesn't just look at the outside. God looks at the inside. He looks at the heart. And really, that's what's being talked about here. Cain brought just whatever. It didn't cost Cain hardly anything in what he gave to God. So he, he ascribed to God what he, you know, his worth based on what he offered to him. So I've heard it said this way. If Cain had his, his harvest, he kept the best for himself and the leftovers he presented to God. And in doing so, he's communicating to God, this is how much I value you. This is what I think of you. You're deserving of what's left. Where on Abel, Abel, on the other hand, is like he gets the firstborn. 
and not just the firstborn, but the best of the firstborn. And he says, you are deserving of the best. And see, those are both reflective of their hearts. They're both reflected of their hearts. And God is absolutely just in rejecting some gifts and receiving others because he knows our hearts. I know there have been plenty of gifts, so to speak, or sacrifices or offerings that I've offered up to him that were not my best. And he has every right to say, I don't accept that. I don't accept that. But there have been times in my life, too, where it's been, Lord, I don't have much, but I'll give you all that I have. And he says, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I want. What's so cool about this story, what's so amazing about this story is how good and gracious God is. It is, it's astounding. Because here's Cain, who's very selfish. And the, the rest of the Bible highlights that point. If you don't believe me, you can just read on. Jude references Cain and his heart and his attitude. Right? And he connects him with uh, false teachers. Okay? Um, so, and, and even, uh, even in other Paul, in some of Paul's writings, he, he references Cain as like, Cain was not, he's not good. He wasn't a good guy. Okay? But even in his selfishness and this, this act of like worship, quote unquote, and God's like, I don't, I don't accept your gift. Look what, God, look what God does for him. God ministers to Cain. Verse 6 of Genesis chapter 4, it says, God, God says to him, the Lord asked Cain, why are you so angry? He meets him where he's at. I mean, he rejected his gift, but it's God's so loving and so kind and compassionate. It's not like God's like, eh, no, I don't receive that gift, and then just totally turns his back on Cain forever. That's not what he does. He says, I don't receive that gift. And he could tell, and obviously Cain was, um, was upset about that, but God then communed with him. He spoke directly to Cain. And he says, let's have a heart to heart. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about why I don't, I don't accept your gift. Cain, I can see this upsets you. Why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? And it's not because God doesn't know, but God's pulling it out of Cain so that Cain can understand. And he want, God wants Cain to re- realize There are offerings that I accept, and there are offerings that I reject. And I've rejected yours, so I want want to draw this out of you so that you will understand and start asking the question of like, well, what offering do you accept? God's so gracious and so good and so long-suffering and patient. Why are you so angry? Why are you dejected? He even tells in verse 7, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But, however... If you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Beware. He says, if you, to, if you refuse to do what is right, watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. One of the most powerful verses in all of the Old Testament. One of the like, craziest, like most powerful um, verses in all of the Old Testament. And you can take that verse and cross-reference that basically with the entire book of Romans, more specifically Romans chapter 6, 6 and 7 and 8. But, I mean, there's God having this one-on-one with this guy who just offered to him, to God, garbage, basically. 
This is what I think of you, God. Nothing. Pocket lint. That's what I, what do I got in my pocket? Oh, I got an old hard piece of candy and some pocket lint. There you go, God. That's how much I value you. And God's like, well, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. You feel upset because I rejected your gift. Well, let's talk about why. And he gives, he gives Cain the opportunity to turn. He says, you don't ha- it doesn't have to go this way for you, Cain. It doesn't have to. I'm giving you a fair warning. If you do what's right, you'll be accepted. However, if you choose to not do what is right, this is this whole free will thing. If you want to make your own decision, if you want to continue, basically, if you want to continue down this path, Cain, you need to be aware. Outside of your door is sin, and it can't wait to pounce on you. And it can't wait to control you, to own you. But God says, but that doesn't have to be true of you. You can actually master sin. It doesn't have to enslave you. You can be free from it. Beautiful gospel message just right there. And God talking to a rebellious kid who really, he just doesn't want to worship God. I mean, that's, that's it. He, he grew up in a house. I can't say it's a Christian house. Well, because the Christians didn't exist back then. It was just Adam and Eve. But uh, he grew up in a house where it's like, mom and dad used to walk with God in the garden. And that probably wasn't that long ago. But to modernize this to, to a certain extent, he grew up in a Christian home, so to speak. And one sibling went just all in for Jesus. And the other one's like, I want nothing to do with him. That's what you have in this story. I think it's beautiful. I think it's encouraging to note that God even pursues the ones who reject him. He provides the opportunity to turn even to the ones who just flat out reject him, right? It's like, you can reject me, but you're going to have to, I mean, I'm just going to lay out offers in front of you for the rest of your life to a certain point, at least we know. But God's like, hey, man, here's the truth. You, You can stop. And you can make this right, or you can choose to go this way. But the reality is, is that it's, it's going to master you. And there came a day where this jealousy that was probably coupled with bitterness you know, just swirled around inside of his head and his heart, and it turned into anger, and then anger turned into wrath. And then he, he devised a plan to murder his brother. To murder his brother, simply because his offering was rejected and his brother's was received. And in verse 8, it says, One day Saint, uh, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And killed him. This would make, technically, this makes Abel the first martyr. He's technically the first martyr. He was killed for his faith. The root cause of Cain's hatred towards Abel was Abel's relationship with God. And that, he, he let that fester inside of him. And he, he walked out the door and sin pounced all over him. And he gave full reign in his life to sin, full surrender to it. Surrender to God, or you can surrender to sin. I mean, that's just it. One leads to life and one leads to death. And that's how it works. 
God confronts Cain yet again. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James is going through the heroes of the faith in this series. And I have a question for you. Who is your hero? I asked my son that question, and he said that Esther is his hero because what he struggles with most is fear, and she overcame the fear of death in order to save her people. That's what this series is all about. We look back into the stories of the people who have gone before us in order to see what God is able to do with people who are just like us. They all have weaknesses and failures, but God was able to work through each one of them to accomplish His purposes in the world. And God is able to use you too. You can be weak, you can be fearful, you can be young. It doesn't matter. God is working in the world and He works primarily through His broken and weak people. Thanks for being here today. We love sharing God's story with you. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. We're a group of people of all ages coming together to magnify Jesus and find hope and new life in Him. We'd love to have you come and join us for a Sunday morning service or a Thursday evening. You can find out all about our church on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. And if the Spirit leads you, find that donation page and join us in the great work of spreading the light of the gospel in this dark world around us. Well, that's all that we have for today, but we'll be back next time right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.